Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for today's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at huronchapel.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's podcast. And uh, at this time, I would like to invite Carly Royal to uh, share with us. She is going to Uganda very soon. So Carly, if you could come up and share with us. Hi there. Um, I'm Carly Royal, and I'm the daughter of Pastor Mark and Glenda Royal. And I'm actually going to Uganda this Thursday. And if you told me I was going to Africa four years ago, I'd be like, well, what happened to me? Like, be very confused because I had no desire to go to Africa to do mission work. Um, but these past four years, God has revealed desires that he planted in my heart, and I didn't even realize they were there. And I just want to share my story of how he revealed that to me. Um, it's a little embarrassing how this story started. I uh, was online, and I saw a picture of a cute guy. I was like, oh, who is this guy? And he was uh, in Africa, and I was wanting to get to know him, so I just looked him up, and I learned all about him. And uh, he was really passionate about a certain country in Africa, and I really admired him. And um, during that time as well, I read a book um, from uh, about Africa, about a girl going to Africa, uh, written by one of my favorite authors. And then I was also just inspired that I wrote my own story about a girl going to Africa as well. And in the book that I read and the story I wrote, there's uh, same aspects, and I'll just share them with you. Um, there was a Christian community base. Local and international people visit this place. Uh, it's inward focus and outward focus. Uh, the place allows you to use your spiritual gifts and to grow as a Christian. So um, for two years, I had this guy in my mind, Africa in my mind, and they were kind of together, so they thought the boy I would think about Africa and vice versa um, I finally came to a point where I reached out to him contacted him and then he finally knew who I was and we started to talk and we got really close and um, he I learned that he was going to Africa again and I wanted to go with him so I asked him if I could and he said yes and then I was really excited I felt like everything was in my hands I felt like God was being really faithful of what I wanted in life and then uh, one night it was um, really upsetting where things really turned and I was Skyping him and he said he didn't like me and that was really heartbreaking and I felt like uh, he led me on and um, so last year in my senior year of university I uh, I was going through a dark period I lost two family members I was severely heartbroken I also was mentally changing I dealt with depression and severe anxiety so everything around me was changing I didn't know what to do it was also very boring my life you know in school when you're just writing papers and you're like I just feel like God was in my life but he wasn't working in my life so I just didn't know what to do and then one day my professor said, what is your best future? And I thought that was an odd question because I never pictured God actually giving our best future, being faithful to that. And um, so I wrote, I said to myself, even though Africa was in the trash when that boy said something, when he said he didn't like me, I thought, you know what, I want to go to Africa. I want to go. So then I wrote down the aspects I just shared with you about Christian community, local, international people, all that, that vision. That's what I wanted in my life. 
And I thought, what are the two places that would give me that? And I thought, Africa and a camp. Um, so I pursued Africa. I, I googled uh, Uga- uh, Ugandan base or a place in Africa online, and I found this place called Hopeland, and it meets all the aspects that I wanted and more, because in my story, I wrote about a girl who went to the UK, and then she went to Africa to a base where the main building is orange and green, a wing on both sides. And uh, in real life, oh, and it's in Uganda as well. And then in real life, uh, the place I'm going to is in Uganda, is tied with the UK, and the main building's orange and green, owing on both sides. So I felt like God was giving me a vision four years ago, and I was writing it out, being passionate about it, and I didn't even know it was a real place. Um, so God, throughout the year, uh, put people into my life, lots of people that were connected to Uganda. And one of the uh, people is a girl called Emma. See, I wanted, I didn't want to go to Africa alone. And I thought, God, if it's a girl or a guy, whatever, but I just don't want to go alone. So one time I was in class and I'd been sitting beside this girl throughout my semester. And uh, one day she shared that she went overseas one time. And I can still remember this. I said in my head, uh, that'd be so funny if it was Uganda. And then right after I thought that, she said, I went to Uganda. And then I went up to her after class and I just wanted to share, I'm going to Uganda this year. She said, no way, I'm going again too. I said, what time? She said, December. And I said, like, I wanted to go around that time as well. And then I said, like, I was, my heart was beating. I'm like, where are you going in Uganda? And she said, Jinja. And I said, me too. So um, we're going together, actually, traveling together. And I think that's a major blessing. Um, and we're actually live 20 minutes away from each other. Uh, well, we'll be in Uganda. So um, God also said, uh, you know what, you under estimated me, Carly. I'm not just going to meet the Africa part, but also the camp. So for the past seven months, I've been working at Muskoka Bible Center, and um, this place uh, meets all my aspects as well. And um, I just like grew really close to that place. I uh, I uh, grew there, and I uh, had a work family there as well. And I was just living out my best future, as you could say. And I want to say it wasn't all hunky-dory, like there's some ups and downs. But I was really in an atmosphere that I wanted to be in. Um, so just in conclusion, I want to just ask for prayer. One thing God really has taught me this year is that... Uh, I always thought Jesus is our peace because he solves our problems. He's the solver. But Jesus is telling me that he is our peace. So it's him that gives us peace, not the circumstances around us. Um, And he never leaves us, so we never have to leave our peace. Um, So that's what I've learned. And I just ask for prayer that I'll be able to remember that because Africa brings a lot of risks and threats. Um, Don't know what it's going to look like, but I just want prayer for safety, but also just to realize that he is my peace, not the circumstances around me. Um, And I also just pray uh, that the enemy won't interrogate, or if that's the right word, uh, into this trip, uh, that I'll be able to to uh, focus on the kingdom of God rather than just my safety because it's going to ruin the trip if I just focus on my safety. I need to focus on the kingdom of God. Uh, just to conclude also, I learned that God is not done with you when, you feel, when you're in mon- a mundane uh, season or in pain. And just some verses to hold on to. Uh, this one really helps me. 1 Peter 4.19 Trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. And also, uh, oh yeah, 
I gotta go to it. One second. <laughs> uh, Malachi three six says, uh, "For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed." So we're not consumed when we change, when circumstances change, because God doesn't change, and He's our foundation. So thank you. What a great pleasure it is for me today to introduce officially for the first time our associate pastor, Ernest Dow, Pastor Ernest Dow, Reverend Ernest Dow. And uh, yeah, let's give him a hand. And it's a pleasure because it's not just a name. It's somebody we know in our community who's respected in our community. And Ernest is going to be bringing strengths that we need as a church. So that's as a member, not just a pastor, but a member. I'm so happy for that, Ernest. And glad you're coming to help us build something great in this community throughout the world. And God will use you and has been using you. And we look forward to seeing how he's going to continue to use you. So let's welcome Ernest again today, Pastor Ernest, to the pulpit. What a great uh, set worship set leading into this, and uh, thanks to Lynn and team for that. Emmanuel, the very name God with us. This is the second Sunday in Advent, and uh, the theme is peace. We're talking about not just about what incredible peace to think God came to be with us and to draw us to himself, but also making peace. Christ breaks down that dividing wall of hostility between him and people. So that's uh, just a great uh, thought to, to get underway with. Well, peace can be a scarce commodity in today's world. Um, what are some common peace robbers, things that sabotage and steal our peace and, and breed conflict in relationships? Uh, on November 28th, North Korea posed a new threat to peace by the launch of the latest ICBM, which has a range that's estimated to be long enough to imperil all of North America. Doesn't that make you feel better? Canada responded by opening up a couple of bunkers at military bases in case the federal cabinet needs to be evacuated at some point. So I'm not just making this up in my head. They're taking this seriously. After having witnessed the thawing of the Cold War from the 1950s and 60s, are we again to be plunged back into it from a new angle? Other sources of conflict come much closer to home. Many young men these days are not so much concerned about nuclear war as they are about winning their next level of online war games. Recently, I saw a young female tweet a complaint about her boyfriend playing seven hours of Call of Duty. Press A, no, press B, does not make for a relationship-enhancing conversation. <laughs> Gaming can be one type of obsession. There are many other addictions to which our affluent society is prone. Cannabis factories are popping up. I think Stratford just got one. The opioid crisis is claiming lives across the country. Addicts may be willing to break laws and steal from their own families in order to get their next fix. Prescription medications, while more socially acceptable, have their own tempting abuses. My wife called the doctor one morning saying, Doctor, come quick, it's my husband. He calmly replied, what's the matter? She answered, well, he got up this morning and took his vitamin pill. Then he took his appetite suppressant, his antidepressant, and his tranquilizer. He also took an antihistamine and some benzedrine. Then he lit a cigarette and there was this explosion. <laughs> 
barriers to peace in our personal relationships come in varied forms. What are some of the most common causes of conflict in a marriage, for example? Rodney Wilson, a marriage and family pastor and counselor for almost 20 years, identifies 10 of these in a blog post. Can you guess what's number one on his list? What do couples argue about so much? Insert quick ad for financial peace. January 9th, sign up at the back. Money. Wilson comments, this cause of conflict represents a lot of stuff, uh, namely control, power, and trust. I have counseled many couples where one mate has misused their money and the broken trust is just as severe as in an affair. Number two in Wilson's list is kids, disciplining them, running them to team games, vying for their attention. Third is sex, frequency, functional difficulties, sex outside the marriage. Fourth is work, too long hours, too much travel, not making enough. Fifth, in-laws, couples may not successfully leave and cleave. Sixth, time commitments, getting overbooked. For example, it's December, tell me about it. Someone I was speaking to recently was telling me they have seven different family Christmases and functions to go to around the 25th. Divorces and family fractures make it an extra hectic and stressful time of year, not one of peace and goodwill toward men. Seventh, ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriends. Social media makes it all too easy to reconnect with that old flame. Watch, you might get burned. And um, eighth is misunderstanding, unclear communication. You think your partner means one thing, but in fact she meant something else. Eighth, unrealistic expectations. Secretly, we want them to be perfect and are disappointed when their behavior is not. And tenth, Rodney Wilson lists stern talk. Sarcasm, being manipulative, cheap shots, lack of respect or kindness. All too easy a trap to fall into when you've become so familiar with each other over the years. So, how as Christians can we start to introduce God's peace into these situations? The Apostle Peter's first letter suggests it all starts with who we are in Christ. There's a, a little poem or rhyme I'd like you to learn with me today for our outline. I'll say it once first, then you get you to repeat it after me. So, because God makes me a priest and watches over the least, I'm an agent of his peace. Okay, one line at a time. Because God makes me a priest, because God makes me a priest. and watches over the least. I'm an agent of his peace. Okay, let's break this apart bit by bit. First, because God makes me a priest. Peace evaporates whenever there's conflict. At a very basic level, conflict on a human level can be represented by a game we probably played in the schoolyard or the barnyard as a child. I'm the king of the castle, you're the dirty rascal. I understand there are other words, but those are the ones we use. As we pushed any other would-be kings down the side of the heap or castle. We want to be the one on top, the one in control, the one over any challengers. Our flesh, the unregenerate inner person, lusts for power. However, Jesus has a different vision for his people. If we are born again in Christ, sharing his nature, renewed by the Holy Spirit, we have died to the old self and renounced the world's way of vying for control. God calls us not to be king of the castle, but to be priests. 
November 26th, Pastor Mark spoke of our return to God and repentance. December 30 kicked off this series looking at the miracle of uh, being born again. Peter emphasizes in his first letter, 1-3, In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. 2-2, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. That old nature has to be mortified. But we're not to stay babies. Verses 5 and 9 in chapter 2 carry a bombshell of an image that rocked the medieval Catholic Church and was pivotal in the Reformation. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 2.9. But you are a chosen people, here it is again, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your fundamental identity is not to be a pusher, pushing someone down the heap, but a priest. A priest exists for two parties outside themselves, for God and another person, mediating God's blessing and forgiveness, pronouncing favor, receiving sacrifices, making atonement. Of course, Jesus is the only true mediator between God and people, 1 Timothy 2.5. But Scripture calls us into a similar subsidiary role, ministering Christ's grace to those we meet, interceding for others, speaking for the Lord, presenting his message and invitation. The organizational chart of the church is extremely flat, like a pancake. The Reformers trumpeted the priesthood of all believers. We are each other's confessors, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The apostles set forth various offices or appointments within the church for the sake of functioning, allowing people scope for the exercise of the gifts God has given them, but it's extremely unhierarchical. Later, Peter appeals to elders to, in verse 5, 2, chapter 5, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not greedy for money, 5, 3, not lording it over. That would be king of the castle style, but being examples accountable to the sole chief shepherd, Jesus. So your whole demeanor as a Christian should not be victimizing, taking advantage of others or putting them down, but vicarious, priestly. How can I serve you? What grace are you needing from God today? What's my part in facilitating that for you? How can I minister to you in Christ's name and for his glory, his credit? It's not easy. It requires unselfishness. You've got to have a power source beyond yourself. What power is it? Holy Spirit, for sure. And all that God has already done for us is what Peter goes into. Contemplate all God's already accomplished for us as Peter lists it in this section. 2 verse 3. Now that you have tasted, the Lord is good. Mm. 2.9, him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 2.10, once you were not a people, now, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Grammatically, note the perfect tense there. It's a done deal. Nobody's going to take that away. 2.21, to this you were called. What's the this? 
verse before tells us it's to endure suffering for doing good. Now that's tough. What can possibly give us oomph to power that? Read on. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The fuel you put in your car's tank is gasoline or diesel or propane, etc. The fuel you put in your personal spiritual tank is appreciation of all God's done for you. His goodness, his light, his redemption of you to buy you as his. His mercy, his suffering so you might be forgiven. Appreciate all those things. Then, tanked up, you will overflow with praise. 2.5 says, uh, You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 2.9, But you are a royal priesthood that, purpose clause, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Priests, Christ followers, offer the sacrifice of praise. What noises do those around you typically hear proceeding from your lips? Grumbling or gratitude? What's the Bible saying here is more appropriate for one who is a priest? God has called you to be a holy priesthood, a royal for the king priesthood. 3.15 offers the key we need to develop a mindset of priestliness. It says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. NRSV, sanctify Christ as Lord. The Greek verb hagiazo means to make holy, set something apart for holy or sacred use. As you start your day, have you elevated and honored Jesus in your consciousness to make him king of your castle, your day, your interactions, your existence? God makes me a priest. Live it. Second part, God watches over the least. Say, and watches over the least. And watches over the least. Great. The self-focused king of the castle mindset assumes I have to look out for my own best interests. I have to make my own rules. I want to call the shots. But a Christian worldview is always mindful. We are not God. We're accountable to him. He is the ultimate judge. And he defends and justifies those who live for him. We don't have to be the big shots, as the world sees it, in order to, to matter to God. First Peter 2.4 As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. See that? Jesus was a reject as far as the Pharisees and chief priests of his day were concerned. They crucified him. But to God, he was precious. And God raised him from the dead. First Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. If you're a Christian, God's paying special attention to you. Not because he's out to get you or waiting for you to slip up, but because he delights in watching his children. 2 Chronicles 16.9. This is the verse I couldn't remember the reference for at the men's breakfast, by the way, guys. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
Psalm 11 notes God's eyes examine people. Proverbs 15.3 says his eyes are everywhere, watching the evil and the good. God sees. He's omniscient. He knows everything that's going on. Before Jesus was born, after his mother Mary received the news she would give birth to God incarnate, Mary celebrated God's upside-down style of kingdom in her song, The Magnificat. Luke 1, 48 and 52, she says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up who? The humble. God watches over the least. This becomes particularly important when we get into settings of potential conflict. We don't have to settle the score in an argument. God is much more capable and better equipped to right any wrongs we may suffer. If God can bring down rulers from their thrones, he's more than capable of bringing down my opponent a notch if needed. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Get that? If, if you're insulted, bless in response. So God will eventually reward you with blessing. This is Jesus' style. 2.23, Peter talking about Christ. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He didn't call down fire from heaven when James and John suggested he did. He didn't slash off the, an ear like Peter did in the garden. That's not Jesus' style. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The Apostle Paul took the same approach in Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Wow, that's radical. Who else said something like that? Uh, check out Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44. Paul continues in Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 18. Live at peace with everyone. Say that with me. Live at peace with everyone. That's what we're talking about, folks. Bingo! How though? Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Let's recap our outline all together. Because God makes me a priest and watches over the least, I'm an agent of his peace. Because I don't have to be head honcho, and because God's watching over everything and will square things up at the last, I am freed from protecting my castle to live vulnerably, openly, serving others, absorbing their abuse, injecting Jesus' grace into all my relationships. In short, to be an agent of his peace. Look closely at 1 Peter 3.11. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Say that last bit. Seek peace and pursue it. NLT puts it, search for peace and work to maintain it. It does take work. In his pastoral letter, Peter addresses four broad areas of society, four spheres in which Christians can be pursuing peace. First is the sphere of community, 212 to 17, the phrase among the pagans. We're to live good lives and do good deeds, verse 12. 
live as servants of God, verse 17, abstain from sinful desires, verse 11, bear witness with gentleness and respect, 315. So much strife would be avoided if people just observed common decency and had respect for others. Time magazine has chosen as its person of the year not just one individual, but a whole collection of people whose voices broke the silence about sexual assault, from agricultural workers to Silicon Valley to Hollywood stars. Broader than the just just the me too, hashtag me too campaign, although that's part of it. Have basic respect for other people's personages, and none of that would have happened. Ours is an anti-authoritarian age. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Peter urges us to submit to institutional authority in 2.13 to 17. Summed up in 2.17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. That's the community. Next, he moves on to the workplace in 2.18 to 25, although thankfully slavery is not how we operate now, except, unfortunately, underground in sex trafficking and so on. Again, workers are to submit with all respect. Um, We're to bear up under and endure suffering and hardship, being conscious of God. Again, because we believe God sees the big picture. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. At the start of chapter 3, Peter relates this to the sphere of home and marriage. 3, 1 to 7. There's to be purity and reverence, verse 2. A gentle and quiet spirit, verse 4. Submissiveness. And before you husbands jump on the bandwagon here, recall Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not just for wives. Husbands, are you submitting as well? Again, Jesus being supreme prohibits me as husband from trying to act like I'm Lord in my own home. Men, if you want a peaceful marriage, note well 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, the the finer teacup, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Adds uh, most interesting reason here, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Ooh. God is watching. He's part of the picture. Be considerate, thoughtful. Look at things from her point of view. Treat her with respect. Surprise! There it is again. NRSV, paying honor to the woman. Hmm, fellas, have your wives felt honored by you lately? Or just ordered around? A gruff command here, a grunt there. The Greek term Peter uses here means honor, price, to pay something precious, valuing. Same root as back in 2.17, honor the king. Do you see a connection here? Honor the woman, honor the king. Do you treat her like a queen? Hmm, let's work on that. If your wife felt more highly valued by you, might that not help make your relationship more peaceful? A missionary in West Africa visited a sick church member. Since the sick man's wife was also present, he asked them several questions, one being whether they lived in peace together. 
The man answered, Sometimes I say a word my wife doesn't like, or my wife talks or does what I don't like, but when we start to quarrel, we shake hands, shut the door, and go to prayer. So peace is restored again. Hmm, Try that pattern on for size. The fourth sphere Peter addresses is that of the church, the fellowship of believers, the one anothering. See 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Let's take that a chunk at a time. Live in harmony with one another. NRSV, have unity of spirit. Literally be one-minded. How's it going here in chapel? Are you marching to the same drum? Is there genuine harmony or disunity? If there's disagreement, what's the first step you might take to initiate dialogue so you can seek peace and pursue it? Have you really seriously striven to find any common ground with those who see things differently? What can you agree on and and build on? Next in 3.8 is be sympathetic, literally suffering or feeling with another. What pain or hurt or disappointment is the other person feeling? Can you acknowledge that in your own words? Next is love as brothers, and today we would add sisters, phileo one another. Can you make gestures of friendliness? Would they feel they can call on you in the middle of the night if there's an emergency? Have you shared a meal together? Can you pray for their kids as if they were your own niece or nephew? Next, be compassionate, NRSV, a tender heart, literally good bowels. When something happens in their world, do you feel it in your innards? Does it tug your gut or leave you unaffected? See also 122. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Is that true of this church? Who could resist wanting to be part of a group like that? Do you really want your church to grow? Work on loving one another. Mend those fences. Take the first step. What's one practical loving initiative you might offer that would signal to the other you want to get past your differences for the sake of Christ? Finally, in 3.8, be humble. NRSV, humble-minded, literally friendly, courteous, kind. One of the lexicon's definitions for a root in the original language here is one of the bridegroom's friends who on his behalf asked the hand of the bride and rendered him various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the nuptials. What do we call that today? The best man. For women, the maid of honor, usually a role reserved for one's best bud. How would you treat that person down the pew from you if they had asked you to be their best man, their maid of honor? Honestly, what wouldn't you do for someone who asks you to be their best man? That's a very honored role, enlisting the most sacrificial service. Part of humility is accepting others' rightful leadership. Last time I was with you here in chapel, we looked at the admonition of the author of Hebrews 13 to remember your leaders, imitate their faith, and verse 7, and to obey your leaders and submit to their authority and be obedient so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, verse 17. How's that going? Have you made progress in that department? 
I'm happy to see you have Christmas love offering boxes out today in the 17th in order to bless your staff. That's great. But I don't know any church leader who wouldn't trade any amount of monetary gift for a congregation that lived up to Peter's adjectives in 3.8. Living in harmony, being sympathetic and compassionate, humble, living as brothers and sisters. That's priceless. Give me that over a Ferrari any day. One last time. Let's recap our outline. Let it sink in as you say it. Here we go. Because God makes me a priest and watches over the least, I am an agent of his peace. Come down off your high hill. Stop pushing others around and conscious of your own master and the lengths he went to in order to lift you to himself. Seek peace and pursue it. The season of Christmas reminds us of the condescension Christ, the only begotten Son of God, underwent in order to minister to us mere mortals. He paid the price for our peace toward heaven and each other. Thomas Watson, the Puritan writer, put it this way. God the Son is called the Prince of Peace. He came into the world with a song of peace, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. He went out of the world with a legacy of peace, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Christ's earnest prayer was for peace. He prayed that his people might be one. Christ not only prayed for peace, but bled for peace, having made peace through the blood of his cross. He died not only to make peace between God and man, but between man and man. Christ suffered on the cross that he might cement Christians together with his blood. As he prayed for peace, so he paid for peace. Let's pray. Oh God, how much we need to practice this peace and pursue it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making it possible for us to bury our hatchets and to love one another deeply from the heart. Lord, help us to walk into that obedient to you and just to give us practical ways, Lord, that we can practice that in our homes, in our workplace, our community, and our church. May you be glorified forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. Please remember to visit HuronChapel.com for more information about our church.